Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This is episode 91 with Juana Amaria. Welcome to the As Told by Nomads podcast, where you'll learn how nomads, third culture kids, entrepreneurs, and leaders all over the world embrace their global identity and use their difference to make a difference. And now, having lived on four different continents, here's your host, Tyo Roxas. Welcome everybody. Today I have with me Juana Maria and she's an amazing phenomenal lady with many many talents. She's an innovative and experienced intercultural trainer and organizational consultant with a specialization in workforce development and uh, over 7 years of international development experience in countries such as Ghana, India, Mexico, Romania and China. She has a high capacity for languages with a proven proficiency in English, Romanian, and Spanish. I can only speak English and French, so I'm already jealous. And um, she's got an amazing project on Global Millennials that we're going to be talking about. So throughout the interview today, we're going to be talking about her experience growing up and um, just different stereotypes uh, that Global Millennials face in different parts of the world. Welcome to the show, Juana. Thank you so much. Well, thank Hi, you. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. And it's uh, it's a pleasure to have you on here. I know we've been working on getting this on here, but um, I'm glad we can finally do it. So I started with your background. I always say this at the beginning of my podcast, but why don't you give us more insight into your experience growing up and maybe talk about some of the struggles you had living and working in, in uh, developing countries? Sure. So uh, my name is Juana, and... Um it's kind of a tricky name. It's actually my background is Romanian. So a lot of people see it and they're like, wow, how do you pronounce that? What is it? So my tip is always like I want to be on vacation. So that's the way to remember it. And um, to give you some insight, so as you um, mentioned in my intro, uh, my family and I came to the States in um, the late 80s. And so it was prior to the fall of communism in Romania. And what's interesting for all those uh culture enthusiasts and uh, third culture kids is my introduction to culture if you can imagine was Halloween <laughs> um, I was about seven <laughs> years old and you uh, I can't even imagine you know like now 
kind of the look on my face and kind of my reaction as a kid. And, of course, with my mom, she had no idea what was going on. So that was our introduction to uh, American culture, U.S. American culture. And so um, I was uh, raised in Chicago. And so in Chicago, there's this huge community of Romanians and Romanian-Americans. And like most kids, I think, growing up um, as third culture kids, uh, very quickly, I kind of learned how to be successful in my little bubble, I call the Romanian bubble, as well as how to be successful um, at school and in our community um, in Chicago. And so um, you learn what works and what doesn't work in various contexts. And I think that was really truly kind of like the start of understanding like, hey, I don't really fit in here, I don't really fit in there. Um, but I have these useful things I'm learning, and I think part of the interest for getting into the career that I got into um, was that my parents, I saw them really struggle as immigrants, right, as refugees, and we came in, um, and it was really tough for them, and I, and I saw the value of really learning these skill sets, you know, the skill set to be able to navigate difference, to navigate culture, to navigate um, change. And so imagine as a little kid, that's kind of a lot to take in. So uh, moving fast forward, um, I have this context for me um, with this very kind of traditional culture within the Romanian community. And um, very quickly, um, I just felt like I was so privileged uh, to be able to move to the States and to be able to have the experiences that I had. And so I started traveling, um, and I ended up getting an undergraduate degree in international business and finance, and I decided I wanted nothing to do with it. And um, the idea of working, you know, with Excel was just not not in my stars of uh, sorts, and so <laughs> I, I ended up putting together a PowerPoint. I was supposed to go teach English in Romania, go back to the motherland, and uh, I put together a PowerPoint for my parents as to why Ghana is safer than Romania and moved to West Africa. So um, that was kind of the start of my traveling and my, the kind of the curiosity I had for the world. And so, um, Tayo, as I'm sure you could imagine, um, you know, me moving to Africa, I think it was, I turned 21, I think, in Africa. Um, quite the culture shock. And um, we often talk about, in the, in the context of uh, cross-cultural competence, you know, I had no idea. I didn't know what I didn't know, right? And so I moved to Africa, and I moved to Ghana, of all places. And I was what we, what we call in Ghana, Nabruni. So uh, a, a white person in Ghana, and um, it really completely shaped uh, and formed my worldview. I, I learned so much about myself. I learned so much about culture. Um, to give you an example, uh, I ended up volunteering for Habitat for Humanity there, and we would have a pineapple lady that would come to the office. <laughs> and every day the pineapple lady would come and I um, growing up in the States I, I have a tendency to be very kind of like task oriented like even as a volunteer there I was like okay let's get down to business what do I need to do today and very quickly did I learn that like first we need to talk about did the pineapple lady come how's traffic you know so I learned that there's this other style to be relational and I learned that um, you have to put in a lot of time and effort to build these relationships. So that was kind of my first clue on, hey, there's people do these things differently. So um, that's kind of like the, I think, the most crucial turning point for me. Um, and so that was the catalyst for all the other traveling I've done. And um, my big, biggest incentive was, and I think for many of us, you know, that when you first start traveling, you have this taste of the world and you see all these different amazing things and you want to learn more. 
And so um, I ended up um, living and working and traveling all over the world, so pretty much everywhere but South America. And um, a lot of the opportunities I had was through my grad program at DePaul in Chicago, DePaul University. And so um, what's interesting is just to be able to, the more and more I traveled, I would get very frustrated and I would say, well, you know, I'm getting this. How come you're not getting this? You know, I would come home and I'm sure, Taya, you could uh, relate to this. You know, you have all these new experiences and then you come home and, and people kind of, you know, expect you to be the same and you've completely changed and then you expect them to understand what you went through. So there was this disconnect. So I think part of the challenge is um, for me was to be able to understand that um, all of the experiences that I've had are really truly shaping my worldview and shaping the way that I am um, as an individual and the decisions that I make, you know, and so it took a long time. It wasn't until grad school that I kind of found my people, which are, you know, other interculturalists or other people that were doing international development work. And so that's kind of the context of, um, of my upbringing. Um, and with, with all of those experiences, it really kind of moved me and pushed me towards this um, career that I basically stumbled upon doing intercultural work um, while I was working in Beijing. So the idea was, I'm going to work and do some research. I ended up working for Berlitz. And then um, I thought I was going to do my own consulting thing in China and realized how quickly I didn't know anything. <laughs> and so um, that, that was a, a nice reality check for me. And so that's kind of the, the start of everything. So that's a, long, a long-winded answer, but that's kind of the, the context for some of these um, different influences. No, no, no. I, I think it's great because I, you know, you, I was chuckling a little bit sometimes when you were talking because your experience was different from mine in the sense that I'm, I'm Nigerian and you know, and and I came at it from the other end. You were, you know, you just came to Africa. You experienced culture shock. My culture shock was going from a Nigerian, predominantly Nigerian environment, to going to an American uh, international school in a French-speaking country, was also in West, which was also in West Africa. And I, I started doing that when I was ten. So. I remember, you know, first time really among white people and Europeans and, and you know South Americans, different people, and I had this culture shock moment. And I, my first reaction was to, if anyone knows me, knows me, I'm very loud and very energetic. My first reaction was to just recoil because I immediately felt, uh, you know, I, I always hate to hate to admit this, but I immediately felt inferior, right? Because I was like, oh my gosh, look at all these people—they already they know each other, it's established, and it was such a small school. But um, like you said, you know, the more comfortable I got with being uncomfortable, and you know, I started finding ways to connect, um, and I started seeing a lot of things that I didn't know. And for me, it was sports, uh, and geography and pop culture to help me bridge that gap. But um, you came at it, and your first interaction in America was Halloween. Fun fact: my birthday is the day before Halloween. But uh, oh, wow. <laughs> but um, yours was Halloween, and then you came to Ghana, and, and you, you know, they had a name for white people. And then, you know, you also, but you were still, you know, working your way through that process. And then you, you really came into your own when you saw other intercultural um, experts in grad school, you said. Um, and, it, you know, it sounds to me like education was, was big. Being willing to be open-minded and being willing to put yourself out there were three uh, takeaways that you, you had initially when you... Um, Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and, and I would love to lie to you and say, like, oh, the, after that one trip, I had it all figured out, I knew how to navigate, and I'll tell you, um, 
it's absolutely not true. It took a really long time, and I think a lot of people don't realize. And I think one of your new um, articles just came out um, with user difference about how to navigate, um, you know, like living and working in a different culture. And I'll yep. tell you, coming back home um, from Ghana, I was so self-righteous that everything about Ghana was amazing and everything about America was horrible. And look at what we're doing here and look at what we're doing there. And everybody with their venti coffees and blah, blah, blah. And mind you, I have a venti coffee in front of me, right? And so you think about like that. We call it, you know, the reversal, right? Reverse, Where, yeah, reverse culture shock. Exactly. And so you, you basically are, are no longer um, kind of only aware of your own culture and your difference or, or maybe even um, you're polarized where you like are comparing like U.S. American culture for me was Romanian culture. Um, but really I felt like, like I was trying to take it all in and, and it truly is a process. And I think that's probably the biggest thing is you know, you don't have to relate necessarily um, based on ethnic or national culture. Like, I found my place with other people doing international development work. I mean, you and I connected because we have the exactly. same similar passions, right? Yeah, yeah. and I always say, when I say it to the listeners, I say it when I'm writing, it, the key is finding your connectors. Like, for me, you said, it, you know, for you, it was people in similar field for me. I, I use uh, sports uh, and pop culture, I mean, geography and pop culture for me, but... One thing I like that you said was when you came back, you had this mindset that, you know, you were almost condemning American society. And I find that happens a lot when people come back to their passport countries or countries, quote, at quote unquote, home is where they, they almost, you know, they put one up and put one down. And, you know, that that sometimes alienates uh, <laughs> some people. Absolutely. Yeah. Not sometimes. Every time. Right. Well, there you go. It, it so. goes because then I've had this conversation because many times when I'm, I'm off on the third party in this, when I see this. I see this when a first-time traveler goes out and comes back, and they start saying it, and I, I can see the reaction on, on locals' faces. And they're like, wait, who do you think you are? Aren't you – like, you were just here two weeks ago. You had no idea, and now you're all of a sudden this ambassador of this. So I think it's a tricky um, uh, line that we have to walk where we, we can, you know, raise awareness to another culture but not put down another culture. I, I, that's one of those things that – um, that I like that you do, but I, I also think it's it's sometimes I get really frustrated with it. That was one of the genesis of UID is when people start to, you know, cater into certain stereotypes, uh, and then use that to be the narrative of a of a whole a whole culture, a whole country. Sure, but I will say you know that the silver lining beneath that, and uh, maybe something that would help because I I hear the frustration, and I, I I myself was one of those people. What I would say, well, how do you not get it? I get it. But you know what's amazing about um, this process of dealing with difference or, or change is it's actually very reflective of your developmental process, right? So there's mm -hmm. all these other different indicators like the intercultural development inventory and all these other tools. And what's cool if we can take a step back and not like kind of react to these individuals to say like, wow, you, you're doing this because you were exposed to something different that you're, you're like trying to figure out now, right? So yeah. It does take time, but it takes more of those experiences. So part of my um, kind of uh, approach to it is just to say, yeah, wasn't that amazing? Keep traveling. Because later on, you know, I ended up um, down the line of like my years abroad. I was in Australia. Um, it was like 2008. So um, we had uh, George Bush and, uh, you know, and his administration in office. And I remember all the Australians... Um, that I would come across um, in one way or another, make references about our politics or uh, Paris Hilton. 
And I'll tell you, I, I've never felt so American until I kind of had that experience where I was saying, wait, but that's not all of us. But wait a minute, like you can't, you know, and it's not about so much the, who who's in office. It's just about like no matter where you go, you're going to be that ambassador and you're going to expose these differences. And how amazing is it that we have that opportunity to do exactly. that? Exactly. Yeah. You know, I, you know, the mission statement I always say is use your difference to make a difference. But uh, an offshoot of that is use your influence to make a difference. I, I always say, I know, for example, I'm Nigerian, but every time I, I go out, I'm perceived as African American, and, and and I know what that carries. Like I know what what I'm representing. Or if I go out and I tell someone, I always say this. I tell someone Nigerian, and I love seeing the reaction in their face because I've had people tell me, "Well, well, you're not a scam artist. I, I expected you to be a prince." Four one nine. Yeah, four one nine. You know, taking my phone. I'm like, you know, that's very interesting. You say that because that's not really how all. You know, that's not how all Nigerians are. But I always think that it, it's one whether you're aware of it or not. You are an ambassador of a certain culture where you go. And, it, you know, the way you react to certain things uh, can perpetuate or cause other people to think, like, maybe that's a little different. Um, I, I didn't expect that. So I'm always aware of that. And I, and I, love, um, I love that you brought that up. But, you know, talk to Juana Maria here. And she just got done talking to, about her experience growing up and how that helped shape her life today. So I'm curious... Could you talk more about that you that decision you made to just turn all that into what you do today? Because now you, you you create curriculums. You're an adjunct professor. You've you've like full on taken on this this approach to to educate in the world on certain um, uh, mindsets. And I I just want to know what the process was like. Where you got to to the point in your life. You said this is what I'm going to do, and this is why I'm passionate about this. I think that's a great question, right? And, and it's going to be different for everybody. And I don't know if there was like one specific point. I just know that from the very start, I felt very lucky. And so that was kind of the driver. That and like the experience that my parents had um, in this culture, right? And trying to like start their lives over. Actually, just recently, recently, this year I turned 33. And it's the age that my mom was when we moved to the States. And I felt like, Oh my goodness, I can't even imagine myself right now moving to a different country with a, a seven-year-old and a five-year-old. So part of it for me um, was I knew that I had something different, that I had some sort of skill set. I didn't realize it at the time, right? You're young and you're like, oh, I understand this and I understand that. And for me, I really loved being in a situation where I could be that in-between person. You know, mm -hmm. now, these days, in my adult language, I would say, like, that liaison, right? right. And so, um, a part of it was, I was traveling for a long time. I used grad school to travel for a lot of these projects, and I just didn't want to give it up. <laughs> so, <laughs> part of it was like, okay, Juana, well... Um, you know, you're not gonna, you're gonna have to like earn money, so you're gonna have to figure something out. And um, and I was, I, what I would say to people is, listen to your gut and and listen to your heart and don't give up. You know, I mean, I had to work um, seven different jobs to be able to do the things that I do to eventually gain enough experience to be in the in the career that I'm at now. But I've always made use of all of my experiences. And I think that's a really big takeaway, you know, is pay attention and um, be cu your curiosity for the world will give you so many different opportunities to really figure out what you don't like <laughs> because that's what will help you figure out what you do like, you know. Um, so I would say that's kind of the, 
the way that I got into it. And of course, I mentioned earlier, you know, but I really stumbled upon this. I um, was in Beijing and, um, you know, it, it was really hard for me there. It, it's funny, you know, when I was in Ghana, um, I had a really hard time, but I kind of like overcame that. And then I went and I did a project in India and I was like, oh, piece of cake. If I could conquer Africa, India is no problem. And I like, of course, it's a completely different monster, right? So you're constantly growing and progressing and I get to China and I was like I remember this moment I was in a taxi cab and it was like three months into it and I realized I knew that I was like close to my neighborhood and I felt so accomplished you know so I think it really depends on you as an individual you know but I feel that we are presented with many opportunities to give up and for me personally I just didn't want anything else as much as I wanted to do this yeah. right so it, it ended up working out but yeah a lot of it is just happenstance. The universe extends. Yeah, let me well, see. Nomads. This is a good example of uh, someone who used her difference to make a difference. You, you know, you you stumbled across it, and then you were able to almost reverse engineer the fact that, like, you know, your experiences inevitably. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over seventy percent of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on LinkedIn.com/people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film. If only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for fifteen dollars a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com/slash-switch. Upfront payment of forty-five dollars, equivalent to fifteen dollars per month, unlimited over forty gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at four eighty p. Active Mint customers by five thirty-one twenty-four get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May thirty-first, twenty twenty-four. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply. If rated PG. Led you to where you are today, and you said you worked several jobs to to follow your passion. And that eventually allowed you to uh, to get to where you are today. And what I like is that you put the time into the education, and you you know you knew that some of these experiences will help make you a better uh, you know better intercultural. I like to say cultural connector. That's how I describe myself. So I like it. Yeah. <laughs> so it will help make you a better cultural connector, and these experiences will also make you more relatable. Um, and you know I, I can imagine when you're talking to students or when you're developing curriculums or you're consulting with companies. You, there are many stories that you can relate to, even though they might not directly relate to the person. But you could go back to a time in your life when you're like, you know, I've had that tough time uh, myself, and yeah. I've had a time when I thought I had all the cultural competency that I needed to know, and then I went to another country, and then I was like, culture shock again. So it's um, it's it's one of those things that you have to really commit to doing, and also be um, open-minded to the process that uh, you're just not going to know everything. Sure, and I will share that sometimes, you know, like, I did a lot of stuff for free. I volunteered a lot because, like, for me, it was so important to get that experience. And I'll tell you, it doesn't matter what you end up doing in the end. Nothing's going to make up. None of the classes you've taken or uh, the theories you know or the things you read don't compare to, like, actually learning to do it. So for me, I had to check my ego often because, you know, you, you'll you feel like, oh, I'm just... I. I'm, I'm too old for all that, or I'm too this for all that, and the truth is, until 
you really have, you know, they, they, they call it the 10,000 hours, right? Like if you, until you have yeah. that full on experience to be able to be uh, capable of doing these things, um, you know, that takes time. So I would also say just to, you know, don't ever be too good for anything because you'll never know where it takes you, right? right? Okay. No, I agree. And you're completely right. I have a question though. So you're, sure. you're a third culture kid and for those that are just tuning in maybe for the first time, a third culture kid is... Uh, someone that spent the formative periods of their lives outside of the parents' culture. So think dipl- diplomatic kids, army brats, missionary kids, or you know, just think nomads. But um, you're a third culture kid. I'm wondering how did you use your TSK skills to learn how to network better, and how did you use that for your professional settings? Sure. So I think one of the biggest um, kind of benefits of being uh, biggest gift say of being a third culture kid is you very quickly learn to adjust behavior to your context right so all those experiences abroad um, wherever you may be you know if you pay attention and you and you uh, take note of all the different things you know as, as you were talking about you know being in a growing up um, Nigerian and, and being in a, a different country that's you know French speaking an international school different context you very quickly picked up the um, the different behaviors that will help you not only survive but thrive in that culture. So for me personally, um, it started off obviously learning to navigate um, U.S. American culture and um, and also figuring out you know how to navigate Romanian culture because you're not quite a hundred percent of anything, right? Right. Right. Um, and so you, you learn those skills early on, and then a big part of the work that I do, I am very, very lucky to work for a company called Language and Culture Worldwide, and um, what we actually do um, is to be able to consult global organizations and companies and create solutions on how to help people make that shift, right? So it almost sounds like I like invented a dream job or something, but, um, you know, so part of how my background and how being a third culture kid played into me as a professional is it guided and led me to the experiences that I went and did and then those experiences backstocked kind of the references that I have as a professional so you know when we make these whatever the the training or the solution that we may have with uh, LCW what, what we do is be able to, to train people on, on making these uh, shifts in behavior, right? shifts in mindset, and you do it at a person's developmental level. So for me, you know, it wasn't until I got to, to LCW and into doing this type of work that I realized, oh my gosh, there's a framework for this. Like I've had all these experiences the past 10 years, right? But I didn't, I didn't understand the context. And I'll tell you, there's plenty of people in my world and in my industry that got it way before I did. <laughs> Um, that framework, but what's amazing is eventually when you when you come to understand the process and and there's these developmental phases and there's like you know all these different things that come into play for you as an individual, um, you very quickly learn that all of those skill sets that you've built is what we call leadership today, right? Yeah, and exactly. it and it's on every level. So people talk about global acumen, they talk about cross-cultural competence, and they ask me, so what exactly, you know, the, the minute I introduce myself and I say, hey, I'm an interculturalist, and they're like, well, what does that mean? And I'm like, basically, I teach people how to get along, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yes. And that's it. Yeah. That's it, right? It, and so we talk about, um, you know, whether it's being a, a third culture kid or being intercultural or being competent um, within cultures, and the bottom line is that you understand how to leverage difference. Absolutely, and, 
I, I, th- I think you know these are key points. The distinction is it's like you said, it's it's working. Every experience is essentially what leadership is today. I always say, um, in order for us to not make the same mistakes the generations above us, we have to become more culturally aware, and that's what I focus on with UIDs, building culturally aware leaders. I think truly that global leaders need to understand what it's like to communicate across cultures in order to create better environments, uh, and and I think that affects everyone. Uh, what it's uh, across all demographics, and I just think we have to learn how to adopt that mindset. Um, so, I mean, absolutely. And I think what's really hard sometimes, especially in the U.S., is they think of culture and they don't realize that it's beyond your nationality, right? And oh, so yeah. it's beyond your ethnicity. Yeah. And there's so many subcultures, and and especially with like, for example, what's going on in the world today, right? And we mm-hmm. have. Um, African-American culture, as you mentioned before, and you have the U.S. Latinos, and you have uh, Latino millennials that never make any of the reports, these fantastic, robust reports that we have global companies putting together. You know, you have all these things, and people in right away jump into, you know, your national culture, and it's so important to understand that these skill sets that we learn and we build and we develop, um, it, it can be applied to all of these things, you know, and so it's it's taking it from awareness because it's one thing to be aware and then not know what to do with it, right? So you're like, oh, I kind of, I see that they're acting differently. I see that these gestures are differently. And then, what do you do with it? Right. right? That's that's the really hard part. The really hard part. And whether it's culture or bias or anything else, it's like, okay, but how do I make it practical? True. No, absolutely. And you touched on the next point here. Um, you should be doing. You should be hosting the show because you're like the segue master of this. But <laughs> I just like to say. For success, that's all. <laughs> that's, well, it's basically what you're doing because I want to talk about Global Millennials Project. You, you you highlighted the Latino millennials and different millennials. Um, I think probably one of your frustrations is that millennials are grouped as one um, culture, so to speak. You know, you were talking about how culture is more than just like a country. What What is the Global Millennials Project? How did it get started? Where are you at now with the project? Absolutely. So, um, Part of my work with uh, LCW is we do global consulting for multinationals all over the world. And we had the great uh, fortune to be a part of uh, a project with a a manufacturing company. And so we got to develop a a full-day program and then go and roll it out and basically facilitate all over the world. And I was part of the team of facilitators that got to go to the different locations and do it. And what was really interesting is, um, A, I'm most often the youngest person in the room. And to be Ayo. the facilitator, right, to be the facilitator, and and most often I, I was one of the few women in the room, um, so it was really interesting in the context because, you know, you I'm already, I've got some things working against me, right, as you go in, and then you've got a different generation, and you've got a diff- lots of different things kind of coming into play with these sessions, and what was interesting is I found myself constantly kind of advocating on behalf of my generation, because there were there were so many different references and quotes about you know uh, referencing like Time Magazine, the Generation Me Me Me, and all these other things, and I was like, wow, people really are misinformed. That's so, and these are very successful, like highly successful individuals. That and it wasn't bad intentions. Nobody was trying to be offensive or um, or to to stereotype, but it was just kind of what they were exposed to. And what was interesting is one of the outcomes of these projects. Uh, the the program that we put together was to be able to attract and retain more millennials all over the world, and so I was like, okay, I need to I need to get some data for these folks. I'm all about the numbers, right? So mm. I was like, okay, 
I hear you. Here, here, let me debunk this. I started doing it in the sessions that I was facilitating, and I was like, oh, this would be a really great program to put together. So um, what I thought was interesting as I was doing my research is a lot of the information out there, there's no lack of information on millennials. You know this. I mean, they're, the entire I, 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 you can spend an entire lifetime going through somebody's opinion or insight about uh, millennials. What I found was interesting is even if we have all these robust um, reports and surveys done by some of the best consulting groups out there in the world, right? The problem I saw is a lot of the information was still U.S. focused, right? So whether whether they were asking people um, within their organizations around the globe, the questions that they were asking were still through that U.S. lens, right? And most often, a lot of these multinationals are um, headquartered here. And so for me, what was important, um, and clearly from my background, is there's no way, and I actually have an article that I wrote about this, that all Gen Y are cut from the same cloth. So that's a, a U.S. idiom that basically says there's no way that we're all the same because we are the same age range, right? Mm -hmm. So that was the genesis of the project. So uh, being me and having you know friends and colleagues all over the world, I basically sent out a bunch of um, emails to my friends around the world to say, "Hey, I'd like to create this uh, this study. I'm I'm trying to do some research. Um, would you mind answering some questions for me?" And it was basically about what's most important at work, um, the characteristics and values that you appreciate in a boss, what drives you crazy, <laughs> um, what makes you you know what sets you up for success and so on and so forth. Uh, and so for me, it was so fascinating because it totally sucked me in. It's like 1% of what I do in my job, but it, it was overwhelming because it was it, so much of the information was kind of um, not conflicting, but it was just so different, you know, than, than the surveys that are out there because the situation and the environment and the context in the these regions are different. So I, at this point, we have about 200 people that have participated. Um, from all over the world, Africa included. Um, it's very rare to see Africa represented in a lot, a lot of these studies. Um, and it was just mind-blowing. And because of that project, I got to present all over the world. You know, So to me, I think that's probably the the best part of it is I got, I got to be the evangelizer, right? That goes, that's good. <laughs> that goes, yeah. goes in and, um, and shares insights and um, challenges people to think differently about millennials. And I'll tell you, we're all uh, more similar than we think. You know, when it comes to the workplace and uh, with our generations, right? Because at the end of the day, um, I think many of us want to have the opportunity to grow and to be trusted and all these other things. It's just going to show up differently behaviorally. Okay, what's the uh, most annoying stereotype about millennials that you that you know that bothers you? Oh my God, I have so many. Um, <laughs> what are the most annoying stereotypes? Let <laughs> me rephrase. Right. <laughs> I want to say I think what drives me nuts is this reference to like Facebook and social media, this hyper focus on technology, and I just makes me want to throw my phone out the window, you know, because I feel like okay. If you're gonna pick something, like let's pick something that we can all like agree is a lot more helpful because the largest population on Facebook right now are you know baby boomer grandmas, <laughs> you know. So it's one of those things where, or like, oh, I know how to get them. Just tell them that they can use Facebook um, through our system. You know, were some of the suggestions with that company that we were working with. And to me, it's like, do you really think I need your system to access Facebook? Like I can do it on my phone, you know. So, to me, I think that that piece about social media is probably the most irritating. 
Okay, okay. All right, now, um, you have an announcement to make. So, UID Media, which is the media platform that I, I help manage on the back end, um, is launching a series of columns, and your column is, you know, is going to be focused on the global millennials. Can you uh, talk to us about this and maybe give us a little tip about what your first uh, article would be? Because um, this podcast is coming out pretty soon, and I can't wait for what you're gonna what you're gonna start producing. Well, first of all, I just I have to tell folks that um, I'm very lucky uh, for you and I to be collaborating, so we can put together this um, column. Um, so I think that's pretty awesome. And second of all, I had the hardest time picking a title for this column <laughs> because you already used the best title out there, right? Use your difference. So how yeah. could it get better than that? Ah, oh, come on. No, I, th- I think you're, you're, you're praising me too much. This is all you, man. I, I, I approached you because I, f- I felt like you would add a lot more value to the platform. I feel like you would raise it from this, from this level to way out of the stratosphere. So I, I am the one that's humbled here. <laughs> you're very, you're very sweet. So, so to um, to answer your question, um, we've landed on a title called "Understanding Why," as in the letter Y, and mm. the column is going to be uh, "Global Millennials and Their Perspectives on Culture, Leadership, and Impact." And the idea for me is basically to piggyback off of the research that I did um, through LCW and to be able to to bring um, to the to the article and to the content of User Difference. Uh, the various perspectives from the regions, right? So I would pick a region and I would talk about like a hot topic. Uh, what's interesting, for example, within the um, the presentation that I put together, we talk a lot about debunking millennial stereotypes, but we also talk about uh, the formative factors within that region or country and how that shows up in the workplace. And so what, what would be fascinating, and, and hopefully this is what we'll accomplish with the column, is to create a place for these perspectives where we can educate people and say, hey, I read this cool article about millennials, um, or for example, Gen Y in, um, in Europe, or Gen Y in Africa, and this is what they really care about. And really to, to be able to share information that I think would be helpful and relevant both as, as personal, you know, on your on your um, day-to-day level, but also as a professional, right? Because a lot of us are out to make a difference for real, you know? Right, And right. We, we work these crazy hours and we're doing these extracurricular things because we want to make that impact, right? So for me, my goal is this is everything I know. I'm going to share it with you in the best way that I that I know have uh, that I that I have with my training, and then hopefully you can leverage it for whatever you're doing. Awesome, awesome, and be sure to check this out. I'll I'll be linking this out to the show notes when it comes out. It's www.uidmedia.com, um, and I'll put her column link right there. But um, yeah, no, so I mean, thank you, Wanda. But this is not all about just what you're doing for us here. I want to know how we can help you, right? So. Where where are your profiles? Where are your platforms? What's next for you? How can we? I know you've got a lot of courses and and things that you do. How can we subscribe yeah. to them and things like that? Well, I think what would be interesting is um, for those of you that want to look at this millennial research and want to look at um, the videos, we we wanted to present it in a millennialist type way, and so there's lots of videos. I think what's next for me will really be determined by the need that's identified, right? So for me, um, obviously, um, working with LCW is a, a huge commitment for me, and um, I'm absolutely an evangelist for my Gen Y. And so um, I would love to be able to be 
um, to be there to support the process, I think, for a lot of the millennial leaders out there. I think that would be a huge, for me, it would be a huge privilege. And I think that's probably the best thing that I can do is take everything I've learned with the uh, executives and the global leaders out there um, in corporate America and, and help you apply it to the things that people are trying, whether they're launching things or um, trying to create, a, you know, disrupt different innovations. Um, I think that would be a really great place for me. Fantastic. And LCW, for those people who don't know what it is, it is what? It's Language and Culture Worldwide. Language and Culture Worldwide. Where can we find you on Twitter, Juana? Um, just Google my name. So it's O-A-N-A. My last name is A-M-A-R-I-A. All right. All right. Well, I mean, I can't let you go without asking you how you use your difference to make a difference. So uh, I'll let you close out the show if I answer that question. Well, I feel like we spent like the past 45 minutes talking about that. but I think <laughs> We I think did, me, but you know, I think we uh, could get it. <laughs> <laughs> Reminder. But I think, I think for me, it's it's about taking the time um, to really be able to. If you can help, then just help. And I think that's probably what I'd love to leave people with: is if you've got information that people need, I'm all about collaboration. It doesn't matter in the end, you know, if it's an extra hour of my day or you know if it's absolutely for free. I think that the way that this world is going to evolve is going to be all about how we can help one another um, to, to all get to the same place, right, which is a better place. So that's my, Absolutely. my difference. Well, if you can help, help. You heard that, folks. Thank you so much, Juana, for coming on the show, sharing us sharing with us your knowledge, your perspectives, and your experiences. It's truly been an honor. And um, once again, I can't wait for this to go out because it's going to be amazing and working with you on many, many, many projects. I can, I can already see uh, the stars aligning. So I'm pretty excited about that. You've just been listening to the As Told by Nomads podcast. For more ways to use your difference to make a difference, as well as for show notes, head over to www.uidmag.com. Till next time, go out and make an impact in your world. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health Right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Okay, I have two new obsessions that I need to share with you. Impress No Glue Press-On Mannies and Impress Press-On Falsies Lashes. Trust me, these are getting ready game changers. Both require no glue, so there is no damage to your natural nails and lashes, no mess, and no annoying dry times. Just one step and you're done. Boom. Instant Glam. Visit impressbeauty.com slash presson and use code PRESSON25 at checkout for 25% off Impress Manicure and Press-On Falsies.